This is the Confident Collective Podcast with your hosts, Christina Zias and Rayanne Langis, two plus-size models and body activists here to get real and candid about living your most confident life. Get ready for powerful conversations that will leave you laughing, motivated, and inspired. Everyone in the world dyes their hair brown and I go blonde. Everyone is dying their hair brown. I know. It's honestly kind of annoying. I don't want to say I started the trend, but I started the trend. Yeah, you were pretty early on, actually. I was pretty early on because my hair was f- literally fried. Yeah. It was breaking off so bad. But anyway, Christina's going to dye her hair blonde, everyone. No. <laughs> and I'm going to go blonde and get bangs. <laughs> Imagine. Imagine. No, but actually... I'm really seriously thinking about cutting some sort of bang situation because for curlier hair. I need to have a serious chat with you. I know, I know, I know. Not straight across bangs. I think I might like a side swept situation. Does your hairstylist do curly cuts? Okay. Because here's the thing. Mm -hmm. A curly cut's only, we got to decide, are we going curly? No, that's fucked up. I shouldn't, I could have both. Uh, Can you though? Yes. (laughs) I'll just probably put my hair up most of the time. See, I don't know how curly hair works, but like that one curve model we both are obsessed with. I mean, her hair, I wonder if your hair would get that curly because. And if I lived in New Jersey or if I lived in a more humid place. place, we got I would never want to commit to having my hair curly like that all the time. That would annoy me. Mm. I'm more of a 60, 40. 70, 30 type of girl. 70 straight. Yeah. 40 curly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I think you need to, I mean, the curls are a unique look that not everyone can get mm-hmm. unless you buy that curling iron I had on Amazon and tried to do. That was the funniest thing ever. I'm so mad you didn't post a photo of that or a video. I know. I kind of forgot. Do you still have the, all the I content? think I still have a TikTok draft. Maybe I should post it. Yes, you should. And I found the original video of the girl who curled, basically this girl curled her hair with this. Honestly, it must've been a, centimeter like yeah so small curling iron and she did this really cool updo and i tried it it looked so bad anyway you can do that naturally yeah so get a curly cut stay tuned stay tuned we'll see what happens (laughs) oh my god i feel like we have so much to catch up on wait did you have the best time in denver ladies if you are a straight woman a single straight woman a a single straight woman looking for a man Get your ass to Breckenridge, Colorado. <laughs> I have never experienced anything like it. It was like the ratio from men to women. We were in this club, which you should go to in Breckenridge. It's so fun. And I say club, it's still Breckenridge. Like it's not like whatever. I'm looking around. I'm looking around. I'm like, I am surrounded by men. By fine. By fine. Oh my God. And it was like, guys were like, maybe because I was the only option, but guys were interested. And they were like, it was so fun. It was and I know maybe that's sometimes girls' worst nightmare, but oh, I loved it. I loved it. As someone who's trying to meet someone, you have, it was very interesting though, the type of guys in Breckenridge. These are the type of guys, and I've been thinking a lot about this because mm-hmm. I wrote about it. You have the New York finance bro mm-hmm. who purchased a cowboy hat mm-hmm. and is trying to be like Western Colorado. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this isn't Yellowstone, bro. What yeah. are you doing? Justine, right. we were talking to some of these guys and Justine looks at them and she's like, you look like you have rich parents. My little, <laughs> sister, my little sister's savage. And they're like, we make our own money. Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, mm, okay. Then you have the ski, ski bums mm-hmm. who are like literally almost 40 and still look like they're 17. Right. They're like rugged. And then you have 
like kind of, I mean, I guess I don't know what the third type was. I'm kind of blanking. Just hot dudes. Okay, so when I went to Aspen a couple of years ago, I remember thinking everyone there was so fine too. Mm-hmm. Also, I was like, wow, I am really fucking attracted to Steve in flannels. <laughs> I bet Steve would look hot in a flannel. He looks hot in a flannel. Like, so I would assume that like, that's kind of what I envision of Colorado mountain yeah. towns, like burly men and flannels that you can tell are still jacked and like broad underneath that can chop you some wood and yeah. carry you into bed. That's like Ooh. what I envision of a Colorado man. Okay. But you want to know what's interesting and what? gals, this is where I'm like the dating rules. I just, I don't, I, I, I'm Okay. Listen, so we were out having a drink Mm -hmm. and there was this table of really hot guys, like cowboy looking boys. They did turn out to be from Texas. Okay. So I, we're just like having a drink. I'm just like, fuck it. I like go over there. There's an open chair and I'm like, Hey boys, can I sit here? They're like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Sit down. And I like just start chatting to them and get one of the guys numbers. And we end up meeting up with them later and we actually meet up with them the next night. And, um, one of the guys was like, he's from Texas, born and raised. He's like, mm-hmm. we could not believe that you came up to our table. That would never happen in Texas. And we were all talking about how much we were attracted to that the entire weekend. So interesting. And I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, because I feel like it's always like, let the man, you know what I mean? Like you yeah. have to get like, you can drop clues and get them to come to you. But I literally was like, sat at their table and was just introduce myself. So I don't, See, I love that you do that because I would never fucking do that. Like, and even when I was single, I would have been like, fuck that. If this guy does not like have the confidence or the balls to come up and talk to me, I would never do that. I don't but like, but I don't think either are wrong or right. Do you know what I mean? I, I just think it's such a completely it's, different dynamic. It's so interesting. And I think too, so we were at the club and we were like dancing with all these guys and this other really tall, hot guy started like dancing with me and talking to me. And the, the other cowboy was like, yeah, like I totally backed off because that guy was talking to you and I wasn't going to like tread on someone's toes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, interesting. Like guys are so not, they're like, I just feel like they don't really pursue anymore. That is. And well, do you think part of that is because like a lot more women are pursuing and they don't have to as much? I don't know. Cause I feel like all oh, before, like back in the day, like women never pursued. It was like always like men doing a lot more of the pursuing. And now like with modern day dating, like it's so much more accessible. And I feel like women are doing a lot more pursuing, like even like through Bumble, right? Like the you woman has to, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So it's I feel like men maybe have kind of like lost that confidence to pursue a little bit. Maybe. I feel like everyone is just waiting around for the other sex to pursue. Interesting. In dating sometimes. It's very interesting. So anyway, tidbit, maybe try approaching, even though. I mean, you literally, you, I guess you have nothing to lose. Like you literally have nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose. So it was just interesting. Cause I was like, Whoa, I did not think that they would be like so blown away by that. And also I really do think that like a guy approaching a group of girls is so intimidating for them. But I, yeah. So I do think like, if you're interested in a guy and like you're making eyes or whatever, like it probably yeah. would be easier for you to like go up to him. Like he probably would find that super confident and sexy and attractive. Mm-hmm. Whereas like a guy like coming into like a group of women, I feel like that's like entering the lion's den. 
Kind of. And know? maybe women, because sometimes though women don't want to be, they just want to have fun and they don't want to be approached. Right. But I'm in the mindset of like, I'm trying to meet someone. So right. like, I do want to be approached. So maybe I'm like an anomaly. I also think that women can be really mean. Yeah. And like really, like I can't, I can remember going out with some of my friends and like a guy approached and be like, ew. <laughs> no, actually I've had girls like that too. Yeah. Like, so you know how defeating that could be for guys? I so know. you know what? I'm proud of you. Keep on approaching. <sighs> We'll see. We will see. Anyway, what are you what are you obsessing over this week? Okay, so I'm obsessing over the fact I'm a 33-year-old woman with a child and I still need my parents' approval. <laughs> I was talking a lot about this with my sister and with friends in general, and I honestly don't know if it's a cultural thing or not because I've talked about it with some of my other friends who are like, I mean, I'm American, but like who don't have foreign parents. Yeah. And I feel like it's very, very different. But the idea, do you feel like that? Oh, I was going to say like what it, no, I don't, I, I want to make my parents proud, but like not in the same way where you need your parents approval. Like, no, my parents are very uninvolved, okay. not in like a bad way, but they're yeah. just like, it, it's a different dynamic. It's a super different dynamic. And we were actually out to dinner. We were talking with a friend yesterday and she's Persian and she was like literally the exact same thing. So my sister was talking to me about it. She, my sister has like a couple tattoos and she's like, yeah, I was like talking to my colleague and I was saying how oh, I want to get like a couple more tattoos, but like, I'm scared because I don't know what my parents are going to say. And like her f- colleague was like, what? <laughs> like you're married. Like, what do you care what your parents say? And my sister's like, yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. But like, I can't help it. And I was like, no, Katie, I understand. I feel like sometimes like I have to ask my mom, like how to do this, how to do that. Because I just know like she's going to think, oh no, you did that wrong. Or like, I need her approval for things. Not so much my dad. It's like more of a mom thing, but yeah. it's just something that is like so ingrained. I actually talked to my ther- therapist about it because she's like, oh my gosh, this happens a lot to people. And like, you have to learn how to establish like your own identity. And when that's happening, you still have like an identity that is so connected to your parents. And just like learning to break away from that and learning not to care or like, I, I think it comes from a place of guilt, honestly. And there's nothing like the Greek guilt, but I, I don't, I shouldn't be doing that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I will say I totally get that. But I, you, you are still very like you, you go to the beat of your, you, what is the saying? Go to the beat of your own drum. March, March to the beat, beat of your drum. Yeah, I do. You do. But I totally see that. Like you're, but you, and I do think it kind of is a cultural thing. I think so too. Like I moved out to LA. My family was yes. like, right. Like I'm doing what I do for a living. I do do my own thing. But for sure what my parents say has a lot matters a lot. Yeah. That's very yeah, interesting. Yeah, where my parents are, I mean, obviously we're, we're American. Well, you're American, but you know what I mean? Yeah. The, yeah, they're very like, you do your own thing. Like you can do what you want. You know what I mean? Like even sometimes when I post on the internet, I'm not so worried about like what other people think. I'm more worried like, oh my gosh, is this going to like embarrass my parents or like, are my parents going to like be annoyed about this? I should just block them. Honestly. My mom really, because my dad doesn't have Instagram. Yeah. Do you know what what I mean? kind of stuff do you think she'd be annoyed about? Not annoyed, not annoyed. Oh, more of just like, like we talk so much about sex here, right? Yeah. Like stuff like that. Yeah. Like I know the last week, the last week's episode, I kind of was like, oh, maybe I should block my mom from these stories. Uh, okay. Ooh. So yeah, a little bit, but so that's, that's normal. But yeah. I think I totally get what you're saying. Um, so I'm trying to work through that and I would love to know if you can relate to that. 
Like, please DM us and let us know because I'm. We're gonna have to do a poll on our stories and see. I really need to figure out if it's like an age thing, if it's like just a cultural thing. Like, what is it? What is going on? But as a mom myself now, I'm saying fuck that. It's been enough. (laughs) (laughs) Nico needs your approval. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, my obsessed with the kind of is I not, not tied into that at all. Actually, I don't know what I was going to say. <laughs> wow. But I was listening back to the episode from last week where I shared about the dating app I'm on field. And I just wanted to add one thing because I was like, Oh fuck, I should have said this. Okay. Um, I feel like one thing. So in my lifetime, and I mentioned this a little bit, I've never like had so many interactions with men in like a romantic way. And I feel like I'm, so much in my feminine energy right now and I've never been in this place and it feels like really good and it's also taught me in like dating like I feel like I've learned to be way more flirtatious and way more like kind of building the like sexual tension if you will and having more fun with it and that's what it's taught me and it's been like it's just been really fun yeah whereas before on dating I feel like I was taking it more seriously and like even though I was dating people I was still trying to be like I I, I kept it very like I wasn't very flirty was it more like transactional it was kind of or like I don't know if it was transactional but it was more like I guess just serious and not like as flirtatious Mm -hmm. and being on here I don't know why I'm just I feel like I'm so much in my feminine flirtatious energy and it's just fun wait that's amazing because I feel like that app probably feels like you can do that like there's you're on there to have a good time and it's not as serious yeah so that was the thing I wanted to add that I felt like I didn't I didn't add it was so funny some of you were messaging me saying like some people were like one one of you were like i downloaded it and then had to delete it because it was freaking me out there are some there are you got you got to sift through there's some like like one guy kept calling me a brat and i unmatched him i was like this is not it unmatch like it can get weird yeah you've got to know what your boundaries are for sure um but that's a good lesson right there yes trying to figure out what those boundaries are exactly so anyway that's Wait, what I want to add. Being in your feminine energy, like what does that mean and how does that translate to like other parts of your life? I think we should actually do like a whole, I want to have someone on to talk about mm-hmm. being in your masculine feminine Because I feel like I have a very masculine energy. I feel like- I, I feel I, like, At times. And I think it's because we're like business owners mm-hmm. and we, we have to be like, and I need to speak to an expert on this, but what little I've like listened to and- learned about it is like when you're making business decisions around like whatever money projects you are in your masculine energy when you're like taking charge when you're in your feminine energy it's different it's more like you're i don't even know how to articulate it because i don't totally understand okay but it's like i feel like i i don't want to say it's like you but you do kind of like let you kind of let things happen to you a little bit. Like you attract more things. Yes, than you're, you're, yeah. And I don't know. I just feel like I'm very much in my feminine, but we need to talk. I want to talk more about masculine and feminine because it really does kind of confuse me sometimes. Because for me, I also feel like it's a lot about like how I'm dressing and how I'm feeling in the moment, because there are certain times where like, I, f- I, I, I can feel like I'm attracting people. Yes. And other times where I feel like I'm, I'm doing quite the opposite. 
I don't know. We need to have an expert. On. Okay. We'll, we'll get into that more. But if anyone has a masculine feminine energy expert, let us know. Let us know. What is the product that you're obsessed with? The product that I'm obsessed with is, well, it's kind of, it's a bit controversial. Oh. Okay. And we're going to go into a deeper chat about it well, a little bit. So, my I was I like I'm gonna start this series on TikTok of like some of my fat like favorites and I used to do it on IGTV like my fashion favorites and I was thinking about like okay what are some of my favorite things in my closet that fit me really well as a size 12 and the Aritzia sweatpants because they also they come in tall which it's hard for me to find like things that are long enough mm-hmm. and they they're just so good I have two pairs now two different styles um but I wear the size extra, extra large as a size 12, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of fucked up, but I love the sweatpants. See, Aritzia, I honestly have like such a problem with because their shit is so cute and I own some of their product and I do like those that I have, but a size 16 in Aritzia, like can barely, I can barely button it. And that to me is just like so fucked up. They're such a huge brand. And I think what kills me about them is that they literally go up to like, they have like triple extra smalls and so many fucking products and then only go up to an XL. But, and they also already run small. Right, right, right. Yeah, so I'm like, who's fitting so in So who is fitting in it? But their shit is so cute. Yeah. Like I love those sweatpants. I love like so many of the trouser, trousers like but do not fit at all. And I just find, I just think they really need to do better. They really do. They actually approached me to like work with them on something. And they like, I was like, um, they were like not going to pay me. And I'm like, if you want to be like more size diverse and you're not even going to pay these plus size creators. I was like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm like, and they just need to, they they need to fix their sizing system. I think like Abercrombie completely changed her sizing system. Absolutely. And now is doing a really good job, but Aritzia needs to do the same. Definitely. Their stuff is cute. Their stuff is so cute. And also, I guess this just goes back to like forever ago, like when they had Kendall Jenner as their campaign spokesperson for like their puffer jackets. I did a whole video on this. It was like several years ago now, but it just like drove me crazy because the exact same thing, their puffer jackets went from triple extra small to an XL. Oh no, to a large. I think at the time it was only to a yeah, large. I think they only recently added extra large. And I was those. like, wait a minute, triple extra small to a large. And it just bothered me, especially like the sizing just bothered me so much. And then the fact that they had Kendall Jenner, who obviously has like such a huge audience and such a like young audience. I just felt bad for like every girl who like follows her and like wanted to go get that jacket. And they're like, oh, like it only goes up to a large. Yeah. And that large is more like a medium. Yeah. Anyways, but the sweatpants are fucking cute. The sweatpants. Yeah, I do really like their sweatpants. A lot of their shit is so cute. Yeah. What are you, what's your product? Okay. So as you know, I'm a reader now. And she's a reader. I've been thinking about like the books I'm loving and I'm trying to do like fiction, nonfiction, self-help. Those are like my three categories. Okay. So I've read two fiction books so far and I'm obsessed with Verity by Colleen Hoover. Loved that one. It is so disturbing at parts. Wait, now I'm getting, what is the, what's the, what's the plot of that again? She's a, don't give it away. She's a journalist. Oh, when she goes to this, she goes to write a biography about this woman or to complete this woman's series who has become seriously disabled. Yes. I remember this one. 
and there's a romance aspect to it. Um, it's kind of like, I wouldn't say it's a mystery, but it's definitely suspenseful. Mm. It is so good. You, if you haven't already read it, you absolutely need it. Need to add it to your list. Colleen Hoover, I like her books. I know. I want to start reading some of her other books too, but I didn't realize she was like such a romance novelist, right? Mm -hmm. And this is like way more suspense. So I was like, am I going to like the other ones? I guess I just should give one of them a try too. Yeah, I think you'll like them. But no, that book was good. It is so good. We'll link it in our show notes, but you have to read it. I just gave it to my sister because she's on vacay. And I was like, you need to read this by the pool. And she literally texted me. She's like, I'm so obsessed with this book. She's like, can you tell me the ending? And I was like, no, I'm not no. telling you the ending. I was like, you crazy bitch. And she was like, I can't wait. I was like, Katie, just read it. And she was like, has mom read it yet? I need to give it to her next. I was like, okay, good. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Wait, after this episode, I need you to remind me of the ending because I'm blanking on how it ends. Okay. No, I, I think I do remember, but. I'll tell you after. Tell that. me after. Um, which your next book is going to be um, everything I know about love yes done done okay people today we are talking about vaginas uh vagines who has i don't know it lady parts is la pushy <laughs> is that how you say it in greek <laughs> no oh, I, I, thought, I, thought was, I thought it was vagina in greek no. what's vagina in greek i don't know i don't know how to say that in greek i've never had to use that oh well you need to learn <laughs> All right, today we have on Dr. Sherry Ross, okay? She is an award-winning OBGYN, health expert, author of Sheology and The Sequel, and she has her segment on the Ellen Tube called Lady Parts. Her goal is to give women the means to take charge of their health at every stage of their lives, and today we are talking to her all about vaginas and vagina health and asking all of your questions that maybe you're like, kind of embarrassed to ask literally this is the episode that you want to share with your friends because it's the episode that all of your questions are answered the ones that you don't want to even ask your doctor yeah we talk about like bv we talk about smell we talk about condoms we talk about dryness wetness libido yeah oh all of the above mm -hmm. um and you want to know what's crazy we like asked for her to be on the podcast and i was realizing i have like a strange connection to her i know that's so funny so she has an intimate intimates line with this brand called urja beauty who is how do i say it? so my little sister married her husband michael and michael's aunt started urja beauty so crazy i really liked it because she broke down like labia versus like vagina like outer skins and stuff like that and like moisturizers she talks all about that too yeah it's really good we learned a lot mm -hmm. so buckle up and welcome, Dr. Sherry. Welcome, Dr. Sherry. We're so happy to have you. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. Thank you for coming. Um, before we kind of like dive right in, can you give our listeners a quick background on who you are and why you are our vagina expert today? Yes. So I've been doing uh, OBGYN for God, it's closer to 30 years now. I guess I can say that and say it proudly. Um, I love taking care of women and, and educating women. And I quickly realized when a woman's legs go up in stirrups, that's when the real conversation begins. So to that end, I, I ended up writing two books, uh, Sheology and The Sequel, 
to talk about much more than just our bodies ourselves, like really get down to the effects of porn and the jazzling and polyamorous and all these nuances that that we are seeing and dealing with um, today's world and and educating and just being really honest and upfront and talking in a language that women and men can understand. Um, and through those books, it led me to Lady Parts, a show I do on Ellen's digital network with uh, Sarah Highland. And, you know, there's not many formats that we can talk about the vagina, right? It's like saying, you know, a bad word. So I love shows like yours where we can come on and just talk real talk. I'm so excited because I'm a 33 year old woman and I have a baby. And for some reason, talking about vaginas like still makes me uncomfortable. Like I literally had a child pass through mine and I still feel awkward about it. And I feel like so many of our listeners can relate to that. It's like why most of us more than 50% use code words like cooch and muff and pink taco, Harry Potter tunnel of love. Right? What do you, what do you call yours? I call, I, 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 say, I call my, my, my vagina. What do you call yours? I, you know, I think I call my vagina, but how often do I talk about it? Not that, not yeah. that often. So I'm not really using it very often. <laughs> right. My hoo-ha. It's not my maybe. normal vocabulary. That's for sure. Right. And I think this is, you know, the, the importance of these conversations. And so did you have a boy or girl, by the way? Uh, I have a boy. Yeah. Well, hopefully he'll learn his penis and then mm-hmm. get the right language and, you know, it's grassroots movements to, to get this narrative more comfortable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we today we I mean, I'm like, we could do probably two, three parts with you with all of your knowledge. But today we basically wanted to have a space where our audience could ask questions that they're kind of scared to ask. Maybe they don't want to ask their friend, like maybe they're or even their doctor. Sometimes totally. I want to talk to my doctor and I'm like chicken out because I'm scared of who knows what. It's I just, do that all the time. Right. Yes. I'm embarrassed that I do that. But I do. I know. So we have some questions that we want to ask you. And Let's one of Let's do it. one of the ones we got that I saw a lot was, does my vagina smell normal or I'm self-conscious that my vagina smells bad? How do we know yeah. what is a normal yeah. vagina smell? And like, especially I think in relation to sex, like girls are scared for guys to go down there because, or whoever, yeah. or their partner to go down there because they're like, is everything normal down there? So how the heck do we know? Right. <laughs> well, you know, it's, you got to know you're normal, right? You got to know what is normal and what is not. And, and listen, sometimes it can be really challenging to know that, um, you know, it, it's diet and, and medication and whatever soaps we're using and so on. There's a lot of things that affect the smell. So first you got to know you're normal, right? You got to stick your finger in there, ladies, and know what's normal so that you can then understand what's abnormal because there's many things that affect the pH balance and the odor and the taste, right, of the vagina. Are there certain things, if you feel like your vagina is smelling abnormal, that you can either eat or do or use to get it back to that that normalcy or, like, make it smell better, I guess? Yeah, well, you know, it... The, the smell can be kind of sour-ish and the taste is a little metallic. You know, I think if you uh, are noticing 
an odor that smells like the pier, like you're fishing, <laughs> you know, or, you know, there's a discharge, there's itching, you know, that's when you sort of know, like, well, this is probably an infection. Mm. Um, but if it's like, you know, th- your market list could be things like pineapple, blueberry, kiwi, lemon. Those are things that are good for the vagina in smell and in taste. So that's so the, not that's, like an old wide tail. I the pineapple. The pineapple I thought was something we just told ourselves in high school and college, and we were just like shoveling pineapple in yeah. our <laughs> mouths. I mean, maybe <laughs> one another. But so that's like yeah. okay. That actually <laughs> is a food that does help the, the smell. Hundred percent or taste whatever. Hundred percent. Both. I mean, both really. I mean, and the same with guys. You know, if they're eating a lot of pineapple, their semen would taste good better. Mm-hmm. Better, yeah. Let's say better than good. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. I don't want to. Sorry, I'm not saying my opinion, but you know, it's back in those days. I remember the taste. You know, so it's the same thing. Um, just like nicotine um, and alcohol, garlic, onions. You know, certain herbs are going to make the smell and taste also, you know, sort of not so good. I mean, you are what you eat, right? So Mm -hmm. stick to the fruit juices and yogurts and avoid the garlic garlic and onion and sort of the ABCs, ABC vegetables, right? Um, You have your broccoli and your uh, cauliflower and asparagus, ABC. Wait, I've never heard that before. Wait, asparagus, broccoli and cauliflower. Asparagus, broccoli, um, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, cabbage, those tend to make, you know, the, the odor not as good, not as pleasant. Oh, yeah. That makes sense because when you eat asparagus, like you could smell right? it your when your you're urine. Smells. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, so it's the same thing. And, um, you know, certain people that eat a lot of garlic, it, it really can get out into their sweat and you can smell it. So, you know, that's just more on a simplistic level, how you are what you eat affects every secretion and discharge and head to toe, right? Head to toe, ladies. It's, it's right. happening in the vagina too. Well, the first thing I need to do is establish my normal. I'm going to, I'm going to do that later. Cause I don't, I've never done that. I mean, I kind of know, we, you kind of know, know when something is off, but yeah. I like, you know, I've never really gotten up close and personal. So I'm adding you that to my it. list, but you I, got I feel like when we feel like something's off down there, we're marketed a lot of these like washes. Like I know Honeypot is a brand or I can't even remember like Summer's Eve and stuff like that, that we think we should be putting on. And I've heard certain mm-hmm. brands like Summer's Eve is, a, is like, no, no. But then you have brands like Honeypot and other like the, these actually are good. So it's like, what should you be using down there? Are these things like total no no's? Um, right. What is the best practice for that? Well, you know, part of it, too, is we're, we're taught for a really long time that, you know, the vagina is self-cleaning. And, and I think it's really important to establish what we're talking about because the vagina is the canal, mm-hmm. right? It's not the outside. The vulva is the outside um, of the vaginal opening. And the vulva is the labia majora, the outer lips, the inner lips, labia minora. It's, it's where the clitoral hood is, the clitoris. Um, where the, the urine leaves, you know, the, the urethra and the vaginal opening. And that's kind of the vulva. So it's always good to separate the two because the vagina is not quite what we're talking about. And, and when you've been told that the vagina is self-cleaning, right? You know, I always like to think of it like um, your stovetop 
oven at home, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, maybe the inside is self-cleaning of the oven, but you still have to clean the stovetop, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good analogy. So it's good to think of it that way. And, you know, here's the thing. The vagina is very sensitive inside and outside to pH disruption, right? There's the good bacteria that, that protect the vagina from infections on the outside. Um, and I like to think of this t- this tissue outside and inside in the same fashion as we do our face, right? It's delicate. It, you know, we want to use special soaps. We want to use special moisturizers to keep the outside, the vulva, well hydrated. And there are a lot of vagina, you know, sort of vagina vulva friendly products out there. And Summer's Eve is one of them, actually. I mean, I uh, hats off to them on some level because they've, you know, they, they definitely had a good intention. Um, I, I think the products that we created with Urja Intimates were a little, they were a little one step better and that we were um, kind of paying more attention to additives and perfumes and, you know, clean beauty, mm-hmm. right? So treating your vulva vagina like your face, you want to use special products, you want to use special moisturizers. Look, a very easy moisturizer is extra virgin coconut oil. It's like my go-to to be used on the outside as a great moisturizer, wow. a great lube. It's great for sex. I mean, it's like the one product I would take on a desert island. Oh, wow. That's really good it's to extra know. Virgin yeah. coconut oil. I have never in my life moisturized my vulva. I didn't, yeah, I wouldn't even think, I, I wouldn't, actually. and I'm someone who moisturizes my entire body, like on a daily basis, like I like have, cannot stand being dry. I would never think to do that, but it is, that's really interesting. Well, again, you know, I think that we haven't really been talking enough about, you know, we're not even saying the word vagina. Now we're saying it more, mm-hmm. I think, thanks to some political movements, Me Too, Time's Up, you know. Black Lives Matter, everything that's been marginalized, including the vagina, mm-hmm. is now coming out. Mm-hmm. And so now we're like, okay, well, now we want to take care of it. And I, I'm going to send you, when we're done, I'm going to send you some before and after photos of women of all ages who have dryness, right? There's many, many reasons that we have dry vulva and dryness inside the vagina. Um, and there's many reasons why people have itching, right? Just because you have an itch doesn't mean you have a yeast infection. Mm-hmm. Okay, wait. So we got a lot of questions on dryness too. So I guess like when people are asking, oh, my vagina is dry. Do you think that more often or not, they mean that their vulva is dry? I think that question is probably related to vaginal inside dryness. Okay. And it, and it you know, and I think, you, I think you really have to separate the two mm-hmm. because dryness with intimacy, right? Mm -hmm. Dryness with sex is common for gazillion reasons. I mean, you know, you just had a baby, it could be related to postpartum, your breastfeeding, your vaginas, you know, there's low estrogen. So hormonally, you're dry. Plus, you're tired, you're probably not thinking about having sex or interested. So you're not really getting naturally lubricated, right? Mm -hmm. So vaginal dryness is very common. Or you're not, you're not even getting a foreplay, right? You know, you're, this is a very big topic, but, but I I would think that your listeners are referring 
to dryness inside. But but dryness outside should be given the same respect and attention because that's a whole nother conversation. Okay, so let's say like if our listeners are thinking about dryness inside, like we got this one specific question, my vagina is so dry, is there anything I can do to change it? I feel like I'm 80 years old. So I know you mentioned a couple of things. You said like foreplay, you said it could be like your estrogen and hormone levels. Like, is there anything that people can do naturally to change that without like maybe using a, a lube or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is to sort of figure out, you know, really dig deeper into that question Mm -hmm. so let's say she you know someone's coming in and they're like you know i'm dry i'm 35 i'm dry with sex Mm -hmm. because that's 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 going to be the most common kind of question and you know skin dryness inside and outside the vagina i mean it's really uncomfortable it's really annoying um and it doesn't really matter you know if it's in or outside but if you're sexually active it's a, it's a game changer, right? To be dry with sex. I mean, that's like a bummer. I mean, you know, and we, we look at the hormonal reasons. So like to, to the question of, you know, did you just have a baby or, you know, are you postpartum? Are you in menopause? Are you in perimenopause? Women in their forties and fifties, it's a hormonal basis as to vaginal dryness. You may be in the mood, but you're not getting enough um, secretions. But, you know, the most common is you're just dry because it's, you're not being given enough foreplay. That's probably the most common reason that women are dry. Mm-hmm. We've been in a relationship for, you know, six months, all that thrill is over. And now it's the normal. Now, welcome to, you know, life. Um, you know, women, I'm just going to give you some numbers here because men tend to have an orgasm within three to five minutes, right? Women, we're 13 to 20. Mm-hmm. So if the average foreplay is, you know, under 13 minutes, which it is, we're out of luck. The math doesn't equate. So, you know, if you think about the most common reason women are dry with sex, it's because we're not we're not given the time we need to get our engines revved. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, let's say you're, you're given the time you need and you're still not there. You know, our sexual response is very complicated, right? Our responses sexually it's not you know our erogenous zone the biggest one is above the shoulders so we have to be present we can't be thinking about you know our baby that's in the other room or the the laundry you didn't do or maybe you're mad at your partner because they're not doing what they need to do so there's so many layers to that question but it's you know i think it's worth having the conversation over of why this dryness and I don't think like lube, I think is a great like tool to use in sex, no matter what. And you shouldn't be I, like ashamed. I feel like sometimes my friends are like, when they ask, oh, do you use lube? I'm like, yeah, I do. You know, like there's, it makes it really good, even if you are wet or dry, whatever. So I think lube is a great tool to use that people shouldn't be afraid to say they use and use and break out in the bedroom because- 100%. The guy, whoever you're with, I think is going to appreciate it as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, 80% of couples say they enjoy lube, you know, in general. It, it has nothing to do with hurting the feelings of your partner, like you're not getting me wet enough. I mean, it, it's a different sensation and it's fun. And guys, I mean, our Urja lube, we have a lube that we, people love because it's, it's extra virgin coconut oil, so it doesn't get clumpy. Okay. And there's some CBD in it, which is analgesic, which is kind of like a feel good. So anything that's 
oil-based and, you know, it doesn't clump. Um, and experiment. There's many good ones out there. I mean, there's many good ones out there. And it, 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 it really adds a whole other dimension into the bedroom. Yeah. So is the Urja Beauty, um, so for our listeners, Dr. Sherry has a line um, with Urja Beauty. And what is, what's in the line? It's lube. And do you have like washes and stuff like that? Or what's? Yeah. So uh, it, it's, there's a silky serum, which is a, a moisturizer for the vulva. Um, and there's a lubricant, a, um, our lube, basically what it is, extra virgin coconut lube. Um, and we have a personal wash. Okay. And the personal wash was really meant to be a, you know, like a pH balance soap that you could use. Because again, people were confused, you know, about do I clean? Mm-hmm. Do I not clean? You know, inside, right? You don't really need to clean inside. No douching ever. It's really bad for the you know, those little foot soldiers that are protecting the vulva or the inside of the vagina. Um, but the outside, yeah, you should definitely clean. I mean, you hundred percent, it's like, yeah, you got to clean. Yeah. Right. I mean, let's just get that out there. You got to clean your lady parts, the outside for sure. Does, um, Oh, sorry. Can you, um, does shaving, waxing or laser hair removal by your vagina affect its health at all? Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of choices, right? Um, I think it really depends on personal preference, right? Because everyone's different. Everyone's hair quality is different. So you have some good choices, you know? Um, Some just like to trim, right? But shaving is probably the most common because it's quick, it's easy. It can be done every few days. Waxing is also popular and you don't necessarily, you know, you can do it every four to six weeks. Laser is quite awesome, but it's costly. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think it's again, so your personal preference matters. I think if you do shave, you have to be careful that you're changing out the razor, um, the razor blade to keep it uh, the bacteria from not causing any inflammation of the hair follicles. We call Mm -hmm. folliculitis. So, you know, make sure you're changing your blade. You're using a nice shaving cream that you can use, something that's foamy, um, using warm water. Don't do the quick fast shave (laughs) the razor avoid avoid things like with alcohol that that's gonna you know cause problems when it comes to to whack uh to shaving um and also can cause ingrown hairs as can waxing too i mean i think you have to sort of be careful um i think waxing is probably better for ingrown hairs than shaving for some laser is probably better for ingrown hairs for sure um and it does take a lot of time. So you, like, it may take a year of doing it every month or six weeks to get on the hair cycle. So it's kind of exploring um, what what's best for you and what seems good. What do, what do you guys do? So I, well, we were talking about this before we yeah. started. I have laser and I love it so much. Like I'm like a little naked mole rat. I have so I did everything. <laughs> so there's nothing. And I was like asking Christina, I was like, I wonder if that affects like the health of your vagina or your vulva or both because like we have hair there for a reason and I just <laughs> lasered it all off. I freaking zapped it all. So oh, I'm like, <laughs> what does this mean? You know, I'm like, Hmm, I would love to hear your thoughts. 
and be yeah, honest. Like, it's okay. I honestly, maybe it'll come back, but I did fry <laughs> those little hair follicles with the laser. So maybe not. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, people always say, well, what is he, you know, what's pubic hair even for, mm-hmm. you know, and there's all these sort of, I don't know if they're medical claims, but there are claims like it pre- prevents, you know, dirt from coming into the vagina, keeps the genitals warm. It's a nice cushion for sex um, or for bicycling or other exercises. <laughs> um, and and of course, the pheromone theory, which I do think is that's. Wait, I don't know that theory. What's the pheromone theory? Well, pheromones at the pubic hair sort of has a smell like this into invisible smell that your partner can smell and it's very enticing and erotic okay and you know it can be decorative people do especially valentine's day (laughs) maybe some hearts coming out you know with the pubic hair Mm -hmm. and dyeing it dyeing it different colors um it's it's really you know it's it's personal preference 100 percent. okay so if you are like a slippery seal and you don't have hair you're fine like you're not like your vagina is not going to be affected. It's not going to get sick. Like you're not going to catch an infection because you have no hair. No, okay. not at all. Whew, okay. Thank God. I just made you feel better. Mine's not coming back. <laughs> you're like, maybe it'll come back. <laughs> now she tells you you're fine. You're like, oh, thank God. It's not coming thank back. Yeah. You're good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So earlier you mentioned pH imbalance and I'm yeah. just going to be open and real. Cause we got this question <laughs> and personal experience. When I have a new partner, yeah, I swear yeah. to God, it throws off my pH every 100%. time. It's like, what 100%. the hell is going on? I'm like, am I just going to have BV every time after I have sex? Like, I feel like oh, it's so yeah. frustrating. Is this common? Very, and yeah. it is common. Yeah. So the vagina is very, very temperamental, very temperamental. And anything that offsets this pH balance can throw the vagina into a tailspin. So I can tell with a lot of my patients, like who is a new partner, because they call, they have a UTI, they have a yeast infection. That is me. And that's like a tall tale, right? So new partners, new fingers, new dildos, new penises, whatever you're putting in there can disrupt the pH balance because there's there's healthy bacteria right there's healthy there's probably like 30 organisms inside the vagina that keep keep it clean keep the vagina clean um and lactobacillus is the number one you know organism in there that's doing its job it's house cleaning um and and new partners bubble baths you know f- fragrances laundry soaps producing this is what can disrupt that ph balance so that's why you you can get it. It's it's quite common. So I don't know if you, I mean, there's a long list of what causes and disrupts other than a new partner, but a new partner is definitely one of them. But are there people who are maybe just like more prone to having like BV or yeast infections? Cause, and also like, can't like medications and other things that you're taking like affect that as well? hundred percent. And it's such a great question because um, it's true that New partners are one of the lists. I mean, you know, how many times have you had a bad cold and you take a tetracycline and your vagina just turns into this big, you know, yeast infection? Um, So there are and there are sort of hormonal times that we see recurrent BV, recurrent Gardnerella. Um, In fact, I, you know, I had done 
a lot of research looking at why women in their 40s and 50s, and you guys are young, you're younger than this, but why women in that time period are we seeing more recurrent Gardnerella and yeast infection? And it actually has to do with hormonal changes. Um, and probably similar to, I don't know if you have this when you're pregnant, but there's more blood flow to the vagina. And so there's more sugar and there's more likely to be yeast infections as well. Hmm. I, I'm to be honest with you. I'm like very, very lucky. We're like, I have never had yeast infections or BV or anything like that, but I definitely noticed blood flow to the vagina because the vagina felt great while I was pregnant. So I'm going to just go with that. <laughs> yeah. See, well, it does it. I'm like, I get BV so easily from new partners or things like that or, or, um, UTIs. Oh my gosh. Like yeah. is with UTIs af specifically after sex, I know you're always supposed to pee after sex, but are there any other things you can do to prevent getting UTIs? Cause I'm like, I feel like I'm just really prone to them. And I know a lot of other women feel like they get them a lot and it's really yeah. annoying. Well, but the first thing you, you know, you sort of have to identify the, the source. Mm -hmm. So with you, if it's with a new partner, if it's UTI recurrent, you, we sort of have to really look at that in a, in a bigger scale and over more time. Because if you haven't had sex in six months and then you have it, well, you, you might get a UTI. Mm -hmm. um, bacteria in and around, you know, the vagina can get into the bladder very easily and cause an infection. There are things you can do like mannitol um, is, is, is helpful it's sort of a natural medication, not, not medication, but ingredient that helps like Eucora is a good preventative. They have, I think they now have it in pill form, but okay. they used to have it in um, like granules and you put it in beverages and it helps prevent the bacteria from st sticking onto the bladder and causing a UTI. That's something you can do if you do get recurrent infections Again, it depends on how frequently, like if you're in a steady relationship and you're getting recurrent infections, you know, then we look at it a little bit differently and you might need, you know, an antibiotic prophylactically during sex. If it's recurrent infections, vaginally, Gardnerella or yeast, you know, then we look at things like probiotics that, you know, saying that there's yeah. certain times I created women's probiotics specifically for this problem for recurrent vaginal infections and in women who have you know hormonal issues called women probiotic from Jetson just because you know part of what I like to do is create products that I think don't exist mm -hmm. don't exist for women and they're like well yeah you know let's look at alternatives like not everybody wants to go on a you know macrobid for a UTI um is that what is that an antibiotic it's an antibiotic okay yeah. Um, you can do also vaginal uh, boric acid and you can take it orally. Um, so probiotics, boric acid, there are things you can do if you know you're going to be getting a yeast infection after having um, sex. So it's looking at a lot of factors. I don't know if this is like a silly question or not, but does it, if you are prone to like yeast infections, um, UTIs and all this, does it make a difference if whether you're not you're using a condom while having sex with a new partner? Like how, like, does a condom like protect you from that a little bit more or does it increase the chances of you getting a UTI? Like how does that? Well, that's a, that's a really good question. Cause you know, condoms are so important, mm -hmm. you know, as we talk about safe sex, um, preventing, you know, 
chlamydia, gonorrhea, certain STDs, and so on. Um, but a lot of people are sensitive to the latex mm-hmm. of a condom. The most common condoms are latex, right? So, you know, you may notice an, a swelling and irritation after sex using a latex condom. Um, and that could be your first sign of, of an infection. And it may not be yeast, right? It could just be latex allergy. Um, and so that that is something in, in that regard. If you are noticing swelling and discomfort after sex using a condom don't give up on the condom but switch to a like a polyurethane we call it a non-latex polyurethane condom there are safe alternatives to the latex okay do you are there any like specific brands um that you could recommend i i don't know of any um that but po- you know polyurethane i, I would yeah, they're called polyurethane condoms. Okay, and also women listening, like you do not need to rely on a man to have condoms. Like you can get the condoms that you want to use. Like this is going inside your body. You can take control of that. 100%. And, you know, I um, often tell my, pay, I actually have condoms in my office that say it's up to you. I agree with you. I mean, you know, one of the biggest um, myths that I hear you know, is that, hey, my my partner, my new partner was checked for STDs, right? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have any or she doesn't have any. So we don't need condoms. Um, and I hear this all the time because, you know, safe sex is really important. HPV is the number one STD that we see. Mm-hmm. And why do we care? Because it goes to your cervix and it makes cells of the cervix abnormal, precancerous. With Gardasil, and I don't know, you guys probably got vaccinated, right? Yeah, yeah. when we were like, I did when I was pretty young. I, I think, think I was like when I, when I was in college or something. Yeah, we're seeing a decrease now of um, cervical cancer because of it. Hmm. But we're seeing an increase of oral cancers and anal cancers. So Ooh. women who receive oral sex from a man, I mean, look, safe sex is truly having vaginal and oral and anal sex with the condom, including oral sex. I mean, wow. I don't know anybody. How do you have oral does. sex with a condom? Well, you, oh, I'm sorry. I'm so selfish. I'm just thinking about a guy going down on me. I'm not <laughs> thinking about the other way around. <laughs> no, but there, there, are, there are dental dams for women too. Oh, dental, dental dams are, um, they're sort of like a rectangle shape latex, um, material that you put over the sort of the vulvar area mm. where the clitoris is so yeah they may exist i think i think the statistics like five percent of women use them yeah i've but never even heard of that scene. safe sex you know is so important um and and to your point i mean you grab your condoms put them in your purse know the ones that that work well for you and don't irritate the vulva because you never you should never allow you know anyone to not follow the rules of safe sex. See, unless I you get, unless you have a ring on, if you have a ring yeah. on your finger, then fine. I actually want like want to share the story and hear what you think because I think that as I've been dating, men really push women to not use condoms. It's happened to me a lot, and with guys that I think are good guys, whatever. It happens a lot. And I was seeing this, not even seeing whatever. I was with this one guy, and he 
said he had been checked. I know I'm good. He was like, can't we just not use a condom? And I was like, no, like we have to use condoms. He's like, well, I'm only sleeping with one other person and she's also, (laughs) she's also clean. So I think we should be able to sleep together without using a condom because you're clean. I'm clean and she's clean. But I'm like, this is in my head. I'm like, in the moment I was like kind of letting him get into my head a little bit. And then afterwards thinking about it, I was like, that's actually very unsafe sex. Like, right. Yes. Well, and, and, and first of all, Oh my God, that's what I want to say to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me but too. I, 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 you know, here's the thing. You can get checked for STDs, chlamydia, gonorrhea, BV, you know, syphilis, what have you, but you really cannot get checked herpes and H- HPV. Not really, you know, like, especially guys, forget it. Like they, it's really hard to check HPV of the penis. Like not even urologists, male doctors who look at male, um, the male version of what I do, you know, it's mm-hmm. not easy to check. So they are like the reservoir. They are like ground zero for HPV. Okay. Um, so you can't really get checked for it. And I cannot tell you the number of women I diagnose with H, uh, HSV herpes because their partner's like, I've been tested and I'm clean. Um, and then they have, you know, they don't share that they have a lesion brewing on their penis and they come in with herpes. Not that, not that condoms can prevent it hundred percent, but please, please, please wear, bring your condoms and just then they shouldn't be allowed to have sex with you yeah. unless they put it on. Wait, that's so scary. And also like, again, like, remember, like you don't owe sex to anyone. So like, if someone is wanting to sleep with you, like that is something that like, but I think it's more, comp- I think it's more complicated than that too, because it's yeah, like, it you want to have sex with them. Yeah, that's if true. you're attracted to them and you're having a good time and you're dating, you want to have sex too. And yeah. then it's like, <laughs> when you're in that situation, that pressure is really hard. Yeah. It's, it's like, it is hard when uh, when this person that you like and you maybe trust is saying this. It's a hard situation to be in. But yeah, I'm sharing that because I want people to learn from my situation. And, yeah. yeah. And, and stand up for themselves. No, that, that's a really, I think that's a really good point. And that's, you know, that's honest. Mm-hmm. You know, you and 80% of women are like, oh, well, it's okay. It'll be okay. Yeah. But I, I just think it may not be okay. I just saw mm-hmm. someone yesterday who you know slept with some guy she they they were breaking up and she like had breakup sex and she came in the next day and just had herpes everywhere (gasps) oh my god awful is there last thing i want to ask about like the safe sex so i know you say unless you have a ring is there ever a time like where you feel like you could if you are in a fully committed relationship you're just with one person you're on birth control you're or maybe you know that's okay to then not okay but i guess i guess i am asking that when is that okay to not use a condom yeah i think it's okay i mean i do think you know i just think i always say you have to go through all four seasons till you really mm. know somebody mm. do you know that they're a keeper and I, and I know condoms are a pain and all that, but I, I just think it's for your protection. Right. So you're going to be the only one to sort of know like when, when it feels, um, you know, like it's a trusted relationship and, and monogamous and, and, and you're safe. But I, I just think you can't put down your, you know, sort of barriers until at least six months or until you really know. Mm. 
yeah. And obviously it's like, everyone's going to be different and you got to do that yourself. But um, yeah, it's. But, but I use, think it's honestly, most people, the first, within the first couple of weeks, they, they're, they stop using them. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that makes, that makes sense for what I'm hearing in my, with my girlfriends, <laughs> our age. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kind of switching gears just a little bit. Um, I feel this one uh, girl asked, I feel like my birth control has absolutely killed my mm. sex drive. How do I get it back or any low libido fixes? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> the pill can, you know, definitely uh, affect um, sex drive. I mean, like I said, sex drive is very, very complicated. And and there are certain pills that have a sort of hormonal balance that may kill your sex drive. And, and if it does, you know, I mean, we sort of talked about there's many layers to why we have a low libido. But I think if you're on the pill and you're like, no, this is not right, something's wrong. Um, and studies do say that certain pills, you know, can do that to people. Just mm-hmm. there's cho- you have so many choices. Um, in fact, the IUD is one of my favorite, but there are many pills. So just you need to call your doctor and say, hey, this, you know, I've noticed since taking the pill, I, my sex drive is gone and I want to try something different. And, and there, there are other options out there. And what if someone's not on the pill, but they just feel like they have like a low libido? Are there any fixes there or anything that you could recommend for them? Well, this, this goes back to sort of the reasons of why. Mm-hmm. You know, why do you have a low sex drive? A low sex drive is the most common sexual dysfunction in women. It affects, you know, over 60 million women. And, and I think, again, you're, you, you sort of have to know that it's a complicated conversation and, and knowing that your main erogenous zone is above your shoulders. You know, stress comes in many different you know, forms, whether it's your job, whether it's money, whether it's your kids, you know, whether just because you're tired or you're depressed or anxious or you're on certain medications um, or you're in a hormonal, um, dis, you know, uh, sort of an emotional side of, of hormonal uh, cycles like perimenopause or menopause, all these factors can affect libido. So in order to know, you know, and, and of course, do you have a good relationship? Let's just get back to that. Mm-hmm. But assuming, you know, all that's good and you really are feeling healthy and good and you're good communication with your partner, good foreplay with your partner, right? And all these other things we've talked about. Maybe you need to eat all those foods that are good aphrodisiacs, right? Do you know the list? Mm-mm. What Blueberries? Well, you you know, oysters. Oh, yeah. Caviar. <laughs> Is aphrodisiac, celery, clams, spicy foods, they're all aphrodisiac. Interesting. <laughs> foods that sort of look like genitals, eggs, mm. onions, believe it or not, are. Okay. Caviar, clams, oysters. Um, you know, things like exercising, feeling good about yourself, reducing stress in your life. Um, you know, things that are, you know, a lot of women, especially with COVID, we're feeling more depression and more stress therapy and medications do help um you know we look at what medications help right there's no pink i mean is there what's the pink pill version for women mm-hmm. viagra compared to the, what men have and, and you know the sexual injustice in this category also but um the one that is out there is called addy 
Um, it is a prescription medication for low libido that actually sort of helps um, in your brain, you know, sort of that's where our, our big erogenous zone is. It makes us want to have more uh, what we call sort of sexual experiences in a month. And it's been shown to do that. Interesting. I didn't even know there was anything like that out there for women. I just only yeah, it affects brain. It's um, that that is a whole topic, ladies. We should just get on the phone for that one. Yeah, I think <laughs> so. Um, you, um, what it's the four one one on Pap smears? Like, when do we need them? How often? And why do they hurt? Do they hurt? I don't think this they person hurt. said they hurt. I'm going to be honest. I don't even know. I don't. I don't know when the last time I had a Pap smear was. Like. Well, I think I was like have an, uh, forever ago. Your postpartum visit. So pap smear should not hurt. I mean, you should all know this. There are different speculum sizes, right? Mm -hmm. There's not just one size fits all. And, you know, if you haven't had anything inside the vagina for a while, there's a small version. Um, you know, I use that for women who haven't had a frequent intercourse or lesbians who don't have anything in the vagina. So you, you can ask, hey, hey, I want the small speculum. Um, so th the guidelines have changed a little bit and mm -hmm. you really don't need a pap smear until you're 21. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that's sort of new. And then, and then it's basically every three years, um, until you're 29, mm -hmm. assuming they're all normal. And then it's every, you know, five years between 30 and 65. So, so it has spaced out quite a bit. Um, there's, there's. You know, we're looking for HPV, as we talked about, right? If you do have HPV, then you know that that would make us want to keep a closer tab on that cervix. But if you don't have HPV, you can sort of go every three to five years. Now, it does not mean uh, that you shouldn't be going to your doctor, because a lot of women mistake that for, well, I don't need to go see my gynecologist. Then you still need to go to your gynecologist to talk about you know, things like we've talked about here, birth control or STDs or depression, anxiety or hormonal um, imbalances, um, family planning and so on. So don't think it doesn't mean that. But as far as getting a pap smear, um, it can be spaced out. Wait, can I ask you, I don't know if this is terrible, but like I went to a gynecologist like once in college and then I literally, because I thought I needed birth control and then like I wasn't having sex. And I was like, this is stupid. I'm not doing this. And then I did not go to a gynecologist until I got pregnant. And that was a long time. It was like, whoa. Yeah. Like over a decade. And since I had my baby, I haven't even gotten a pap smear. I went to my six week. Like they might've done it then. They, yeah. I don't think they did it. Cause I think she's like, you have to come back and make a, you have to make a pap smear appointment. And I just never did. Like, is that bad to do or are like, are things just fine? Because <laughs> like now I'm concerned. Like should I like? I think I know what Doctor Sherry's going to say. Well, yeah, you should go. I <laughs> yeah. mean, you should go because <laughs> it's not a trick question. Um, yeah, you still want to go. I mean, I think it's you know you you sound like you've had a pretty unscathed uh, gynecologic history, right? Right, and I you had been with the from... same partner for like this entire time. Yeah. So it's and so what birth control do you use? The pull-out method. Oh. <laughs> I was waiting for this one. We call that the pull and pray. Yeah. Yeah. Pull and pray, withdraw method. It's one of the worst. But if it works for you, 
I mean, it works. I mean, right. It's working for you, right? Yeah. I mean, it's worked for almost 12 years and it works. It it does work. It works for relationships that, you know, have been pretty steady. And I will say I have a very responsible partner. Like he's not like a partner and be like, oopsies or like this time, like, eh, it's probably fine this time. Like, He's like very responsible in that sense and controlled, I guess. So that, but I, I know I probably shouldn't promote the pullout well, there, method, but that is know, the, the honest truth. The problem in general, I mean, you're, you're, sounds like it's working for you. Maybe mm-hmm. you're using, um, you know, the, the sort of calendar method too, where you can time the window where you, yeah. you're high fertility, but the pre-com, the pre-ejaculate. Yes. Is, is the problem with why people would get pregnant with pull and pray. Um, but it's working for you. Yeah. Well, so I, the yeah. last thing I want to ask you, Dr. Sherry, Christina's on that. That's her birth control. <laughs> I'm on, I have the IUD. Um, and it's actually time February, like this month is when it's like, or, or February, I guess this is coming out later, but I'm around the time where, I need to get either taken out or get a new one put in. And I have got to ask you, I have never experienced that pain of getting an IUD in. And I know my friends say the same thing. Is there like something you can ask your doctor to like for pain meds or something to make it more bearable? Because I literally cannot even, my one friend passed out in the doctor's office from the pain. And I'm like, why are we just acting like this is such an easy thing? Am I crazy? Like, I would love to hear your thoughts on this whole. Which IUD? Which I have IUD the Liletta. Have? I have the Liletta, which is essentially the yeah. same as the Mirena, I think. Yeah. So, well, for starters, it is uncomfortable. It shouldn't be passing out, but um, I would pre-medicate with Motrin 800 a half hour before you get it inserted. Okay. And you could ask her, uh, do they do it under ultrasound guidance too? Mm, I don't know. No, they don't. I mean, um, you, you could also maybe look, well, I, I, w- I would just pre-medicate with Motrin 800 a half hour before. Okay. And then, and then every eight hours after it's inserted for 24 hours, I would also use 800 milligrams of Motrin every eight hours. Okay. I'm dreading it. Um, To wrap things up, one question that we've got so much, and we want to do a whole specific episode on this, but we just wanted to get your thoughts. At what age should people start or women start thinking about freezing their eggs? Yeah. This is a really important question. And I'm, I love that we're talking about it. Um, Egg freezing is so important. The usual sort of recommended time is 32 to 37. But I always tell patients, you're really never too young to think about it. I think the big barrier to egg freezing is the cost. Mm -hmm. It's expensive. Yeah, because the truth is, you know, women now are delaying, you know, having babies because they're getting jobs. They're waiting for that right partner. Um, You know, it's. Gen X, millennials, it's harder. Life's harder. COVID's really created an extra element of of that too. But those that are getting in school and they they want to get a good job going, I I think it's important to look into thinking about egg freezing, even in your, you know, even before 32, 30, 31, start talking to your gynecologist about it. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple places, um, Kind Body is one, mm-hmm. where it's, you know, somewhere around six to $8,000 to do it. So it's not cheap. Maybe your the grandparents of the future baby can help you. Um, <laughs> certain workplaces like Apple and Facebook, they pay for egg freezing. Wow. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm looking more, seeing more insurance companies and more conversation around having businesses pay for women to have egg freezing. You're, you're really never too young to do it. I think it's important to, to think about it and not make cost be an, uh, an issue. So 30, 31, 32, you know, start thinking about it because it's, it's using your genetics at a later time. And it can be, you know, look, if you're in a relationship, a steady relationship, and this is the one, you don't really need to think about it, you know, unless, you know, unless you're not going to, you know, unless you're 35, 36, and you just aren't sure about when to have a baby. I think these are all really important questions to have with your gynecologist. Okay, yeah. Great insight. Um, Well, we covered so many topics today, and we really appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us. Um, We know our audience is going to find this very helpful. Uh, So thank you again for coming on and um, giving us such valuable information. Well, thanks for having me, and I'll come back anytime. There's a lot to talk about. Vagina, vulva, she's complicated. So anytime, I'm happy to and um, look forward to meeting some of your uh, followers and they can follow me too on Instagram at Dr. Shari R. Perfect. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, let our audience know where they can find you. So on Instagram, Dr. Sherry, um, thank you so R, much. Yeah. R. Perfect. And, and we'll leave Dr. Sherry's products yeah, and all of information I, in the show sure notes. Yeah. yeah. I'm all over. So thank you so much. We all really right. appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me. Thank appreciate you. Bye. Bye. Time for ask away with Ray and Kay. Kay, what's our question? Any tips for getting over having my heart broken by a guy I thought really liked me? Well, first off, I'm sorry that you feel heartbroken. Yeah. That is like one of the worst feelings ever. Mm-hmm. It sucks. Um, my first thing is, my first thing you need to do, remove him on Instagram, mm-hmm. delete his number, no contact. Do not be in contact with him. Could not agree more. You do not want to see what he's doing on a Friday night. Nope. Also time. I think time is a big thing. Time heals. And I mean, for me, I would just really immerse myself in everything I possibly could hang out with my friends as much as possible, hang out with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, just try and like find as many ho- things to like hobbies and things to keep you entertained and not thinking about him. Yeah. Start a, Yeah. Start a new, ho- pick up a new hobby. Maybe pick up beach pottery. volleyball, beach volleyball. <laughs> join a beach volleyball league (laughs) (laughs) um also we have an episode um with your breakup bestie Mm -hmm. i don't remember the episode number um off the top of my head but we'll link it in the show notes and you should definitely listen to that as well and no you're not alone but i I also think it's just really important to think about like because you said in this question i thought this guy really liked me but did you really like him are you more upset that like it's just over because it's easy to romanticize the idea of exactly. somebody yeah um which it still sucks but obviously he's not he's not for you honey and i do i do really think that giving yourself time is the main thing um unfortunately 
Absolutely. And also, I mean, I'm just saying, but sometimes that old saying, how to get over somebody to get under somebody, I'm saying it does kind of work. Yes, I actually think, <laughs> I think that's really fantastic advice. I do too. I think you're like, obviously you got to take some time to heal, but then like, it's time to get You just got to rip that on. band-aid. You got to <laughs> yeah. get back on the horse. Get back on the horse. Um, because then you can start thinking about someone else. Like, I don't think I really started to get over my ex until I started dating other people. Yes, that makes total sense. Because then you don't, you just go back to like, oh, we did this together. We did this. And then it's like, you have to create new memories with new people to take up that real mental real estate. Could not agree more. Yeah. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Don't forget to send your Ask Away with Ray and Kay questions into uh, the Confident Collective Instagram. And also thank you for all of those new reviews. We're still trying to get to one 300 reviews on mm-hmm. Apple Podcasts. So we would really appreciate that. Yes. All right. Love you guys. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes on our website, theconfidentcollective.com and find us on Instagram at Confident Collective. And if you really loved what you heard, screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it in your stories. And don't forget to tag us.